you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics for men of all time, the Treasury Edition, belt member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me this week, as we travel into the 25th century, is Greg Arujo. Hi, Greg. Biddy, biddy, biddy. <laughs> I, I, was, I was either going to be you or me to do it first. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk about the Buck Rogers Giant Movie Edition, which is an adaptation of the movie of the same title. Uh, now, Greg, before we even get to talk about Buck Rogers, like this is your first appearance on on Treasury Cast. So, like, what is oh, yeah. what is your fandom for these books? Did you have them as a kid? Did you have them growing up? Oh, oh yeah, actually, I I, I came into comics at exactly the best time possible. If it wasn't uh, the Treasury editions, it was a hundred page giants. Ah, yes, for sixty cents. So, if you're going to get introduced to comics, particularly DC comics, yet I. That's the best way to do it. You get some of the new stuff. You get some of the old stuff. You get a, a, a little bit of everything with, the, with 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 both those types of formats. I'd probably prefer the Treasury a little bit over the hundred page Giants, but it's really close. Did you do you remember having? Were there some particular favorites you had as a kid? Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, the Justice League one and the the Super Friends one were probably my favorite since the Justice League of America has always been like a favorite for me. But I really also enjoyed the, the Shazam one. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the one with the photo cover... Oh, it's so good. <laughs> ...is the first treasury that I owned. It's hard to say for certain. 1974. Sure, sure, yeah. It's so far away. If, if it wasn't that one, it was a Superman or the one of the... Uh, the I think it would be the first Christmas with the superheroes. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, all good stuff, man. Yeah, you can't beat that. That's a perfect... Hey, I even, I even like the one, the infamous uh, Bicentennial one, so... <laughs> yeah, Some, someday I'm going to get to that. Uh, that's a that's a fun book to talk about, uh, if not uh, necessarily the most high, highest quality of the treasuries. <laughs> but that's, that's a discussion for another episode. So, yeah, as, as I said, we're here to talk about the Buck Rogers Giant Movie Edition. Now, for those of you that also listen to the Film and Water podcast, you know that uh, David A. Gutierrez and I covered the movie uh, on that show. So this is sort of a tie-in, of course, because it's the adaptation. Uh, this comic book was released May 24th, 1979, so it came out about two months after the movie. So I would say uh, whoever published this, and that seems to be a little uncertain, and we'll get to that in a moment, kind of missed the window. I would say putting out the adaptation two months after the movie is probably but, a little late. But, but at the same time, it's about three months before the TV series That's started, a good too. Point. So it's kind of in that weird sweet spot, too late for the movie, too early for the TV show. As Buck Rogers' mania swept America in 1979. So. Hey, I mean, the movie was the 29th pop-grossing film of 1979. I saw it. I, my dad took me to see I it. I did, too. Yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing the theater. It was a and I watched the show. I mean, yeah, I was all about this. So... Did you have this particular adaptation when you were a kid? Because I did not. I never saw this I did not either. And it, what it was is when you started uh, 
the treasury show, uh, the treasury cast, I, you know, was inspired like, hey, does my local comic shop, any of my local comic shops have any treasury editions? And I was flipping through and I was, you know, discounting the ones that were super expensive. And I saw Buck Rogers and I, I think I knew that there was a comic book adaptation, but I didn't know that there was a treasury and it was only like a couple bucks. So uh, that was like a no brainer. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that gets into the, sort of the weird publishing history of this thing. Because if you look at the indicia, it says Buck Rogers Giant Movie Edition published by Western Publishing, which is, of course, the, the arm of Gold Key Comics. And Gold Key had the Buck Rogers license. They produced the Buck Rogers comic book series. Yet the edition that I own has Marvel's Spider-Man on the front, uh, on the upper left cover. You see Spider-Man, and it says Marvel Comics Group. And that is the, and it has the little um, Curtis Syndix, uh, Curtis Circulation uh, logo. You see the little CC. That's the only indication that Marvel had anything to do with this. So what version do you have? Because there is another one that has the Whitman uh, logo. I have the Whitman. I have the Whitman. And it makes me really wonder why isn't a Marvel comic? I mean, at 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 the time that this came out, they weren't producing a Buck Rogers comic at the no, time, no. and uh, and the only real adaptation that uh, that that Gold Key had at the time was essentially Flash Gordon, I and mean, that was well before the movies. The movie from a couple of years after this one, after after the Buck Rogers movie, but Marvel, on the other hand, is awash in movie adaptations mm-hmm, at this mm-hmm. time. I mean, they got Star Wars. Um, I mean, Battle, they did Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, which Annie, is... They did, they did the G.I. Joe. They really used the treasuries as kind of like the place for their licensed material. I don't know. Was this just one licensed property too many? I mean, I guess if you think about it, you know, they already had a Captain Rogers who had been frozen, but... I don't know if, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're going to make any confusion between uh, Captain America and Buck Rogers, although that would make a one heck of a uh, crossover. Yeah, well, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, the the idea that Marvel had their hands on this in some way or on some level distributed it, uh, I, I this is just a, a wild guess, but I am assuming that Marvel had a distribution deal with certain department stores. And uh, they wanted to get the Buck Rogers book into those stores. And so they were like, okay, Gold Key, you make it, you produce it, you send us to us, and then we'll just slap our logo on it. And that gets it into certain stores. And meanwhile, other stores carried the Whitman version. Because the Whitman, I mean, and you know that uh, Whitman had that deal with DC, because of course there are DC Whitman editions sure. of Treasury Comics of the famous first edition of Superman and Superman versus Muhammad Ali. So Whitman it was that weird logo that just appeared mm-hmm. on random things that, but it, you know, they had it. They must have had deals with department stores, and that was the only way these comics were going to get in there. I, I guess that makes as much sense as anything. I mean, although the mind kind of boggles at what a, 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 a true Marvel Buck Rogers series might have been like. I know. Can you imagine them sticking their their top flight talent on this? That would have been really, really it interesting. Would have been. Yeah, would have been. So uh, this book uh, features a photo cover, and we have our actors, Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray and Henry Silva and Pamela Hemsley, Joseph Wiseman, who will not appear in this comic book, <laughs> and uh, Tim O'Connor. We see mm-hmm. them all there, and it says, All new, the comic book adaptation of the exciting motion picture, $1.50. And on the inside cover is a little editorial, and it is uh, unsigned. And it's a really cute little story about um, a father taking his son to go see Buck Rogers the movie and how the dad, the son likes it, and he's sort of uh, amazed at, at this thing called Buck Rogers. And, of course, the dad warmly remembers Buck Rogers growing up. It's, it's actually a really 
quite touching, and it's the kind of personal touch that I don't associate with Gold Key Comics. When I, when no. I, was, you know, when I was a kid, Gold Key seemed kind of dull, and it was this mm-hmm. kind of thing that I liked it. I was like surprised that it's here. It, it, it is a nice personal touch. Would have been even more of a nice personal touch if we knew who actually wrote it. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and to a certain extent, I am this 10-year-old kid who was taken not by their father but by their mother to go see this movie. So, I mean, I can relate to it on, on that term. And I think probably when I was first, you know, in the midst of Star Wars mania, I know that one of the books was talking about how an influence was Buck Rogers. So this all kind of ties it all together. Yeah, it's really, I mean, this is the kind of thing that uh, E. Nelson Bridwell would have written in a DC book, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know who that's, it's a really sweet little story. I wish, I wish whoever took, you know, would take credit <laughs> for it. I mean, it's really, really, very really nice. It's it's the kind of bonus feature that you got in these treasuries. Because uh-huh. uh, the research I did indicates that this book is actually just a reprint of three issues of the regular size Buck Rogers series where they adapted the movie. So this little uh, story and then the, the back uh, inside cover where they talk about the movie are the bonus features, basically. And again, I really wish they had, you know, I would like to know who wrote this. It's really very sweet. So anyway, the adaptation is by Paul Newman. No, not that one. Uh, Fra- <laughs> Fra- Frank Bull, Jose Delbo, my former instructor at the Joe Kubert School, and, uh, and Al McWilliams. And so it's it. It's basically a straight-ahead adaptation of the movie. There are some changes, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. So chapter one is starts off in 1987. NASA astronaut Captain William Buck Rogers is piloting the Space Shuttle Ranger 3 when he flies into unexpected unexpected space phenomenon and is frozen for 504 years. Yeah, Captain America, big deal, 40 <laughs> years. In the year 2491, his shuttle is found drifting in space by the alien ship Draconia, which is headed to Earth for a trade conference. Oh, God, a trade conference. (laughs) Under the command of Princess Ardala and her aide-de-camp, Kane, a former native of Earth. Rogers is revived from his cryogenic sleep. Princess Ardala is visibly attracted to Buck, but Kane is suspicious, thinking Buck is a spy. It turns out, though, the Draconians are actually planning to conquer Earth through staged pirate attacks on Earth's shipping fleet, forcing Earth to seek a treaty with the Draconians and unwittingly opening up their defenses to the invaders. They plan a homing beacon aboard Roger's shuttle to track a way past Earth's planet-wide defense shield. Buck lands in New Chicago and is immediately taken into custody by Colonel Wilma Deering of Earth's military forces. He is interrogated and learns that Earth has been rebuilt over the centuries in his absence following a nuclear holocaust, and now only, only one thing left is this big city surrounded by a desert wasteland. Over the course of his time in detention, Buck makes the acquaintance of Dr. Eilis Hewer, the leader of Earth's defense directorate, the AI computer Dr. Theopolis, and the robot drone Tweaky. While recounting his encounter with the Draconians, Buck notices several discrepancies and suspects that the Draconians must be armed, contrary to the terms of the trade meeting. After finding the secret transmitter implanted in a ship, Earth's ruling council thinks Buck is a spy for Draconia. He, and Tweaky and Dr. Theopolis, who believes Buck's story, are banished to life outside the protected city, namely the ruins of old Chicago. Now, part two begins with Buck, Tweaky, and Dr. Theopolis, despite facing overwhelming numbers, managing to hold their own against the horde of mutants in the, the ruins of old Chicago. Buck manages to make his way to the roof of one of the buildings, only to see an inner-city patrol car dispersing the crowd of mutants. Wilma Deering emerges from the patrol to offer Buck a rather strange proposition. Suddenly, we cut to Buck, Wilma, and a squad of starfighters heading towards the Draconia. While Kane and Princess Ardala are surprised by this 
by this unexpected visit, they decide to give the Earth Forces a surprise of their own. Princess Ardala tells the newly arrived Earth Force that she has never encountered Buck before, creating further doubt in Wilma's mind about Buck's story of a previous encounter. However, Buck is quickly to respond, he never forgets a knuckle as he kisses her hand. Before the conversation can continue, the Draconian warship is attacked by pirates. Since the warship is officially unarmed, the Earth fighters race off to protect the princess and her crew. The Earth forces, due to their reliance on computer control during combat, find themselves quickly outmatched. Buck Rogers' 20th century piloting skills and instincts manage to save the day as he single-headedly destroys the invading force. Back on Earth, Buck suspects a traitor may be involved with the pirate's ability to anticipate the Earth force's computerized computer tactics. But as a reward... Princess Ardala invites Buck to the ceremony celebrating the Earth's treaty with the Draconian Empire. Just as Buck heads to the party, he asks Tweaky and Dr. Theopolis to retrieve a couple items for him. A medicine supposedly for a headache and a single rose. After a brief message from Emperor Draco, the, the celebration begins. Now, after presenting the princess with the rose and a non-disco dance... Uh, Buck accompanies Ardala back to back to her ship. Using his 20th century Buck Rogers charm, he manages to gain interest, entrance into the princess's private quarters. As she discuss, discusses the possibility of Buck assisting Ardala in overthrowing her father, he surreptitiously puts the headache medicine into her drink, causing her to fall asleep. Buck then takes the opportunity to stun Tigerman, who had been standing guard outside the, her quarters. Buck manages to make his way to the Draconian flight deck where he sees crewmen loading missiles onto the pirate ships as they prepare for the final invasion of Earth. In part three, Buck meets up with Dr. Theopolis and Tweaky, who have followed him aboard, and they initially think he's a spy, but then they eventually realize that he is not, and they team up with him to uh, alert Earth to the Draconian threat. Wilma immediately scrambles Earth's starfighters and attacks the Draconia, while Buck sabotages the Draconian bomber fleet prepared to attack Earth and fights off Ardala's bodyguard, Tigerman. During the battle, the Draconia is critically damaged, but Buck, Theopolis, and Tweaky are rescued by Wilma before the ship explodes. Ardala and Kane also escape the Draconia's destruction in a subtle shuttlecraft. Back at the Council of Computers, Dr. Theopolis reveals that it has been discovered who has been leaking info to Draconia, and it was not Buck. It was Dr. Apal whose computer was programmed by Kane when he defected to Draconia. Apol pleads for his life, but his wiring is disconnected. Theopolis thanks Buck for his bravery and heroism and asks how, can they, how they can repay him. Buck wraps his arm around Wilma and saying he already has his reward. <laughs> Dr. Healer <laughs> says, let the celebration begin. Oh, my. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> so... I had a couple of thoughts uh, on this uh, this story. First of all, of course, we see Joseph Wiseman, who played Dr. No, uh, mm-hmm. on the cover. Uh, he is nowhere to be found in the movie, pretty much, except for one brief scene. And, and he's not drawn in the comic book at all. We see the character, but he's not drawn at all to look like Joseph Wiseman. Oh, no. No. Uh, I was going to say, they're all pretty much the actors with the, just they're basically – almost on model, but just kind of generic enough that they're not exactly duplicates of any yeah, of the actors. We can, we can get around with having to pay likeness fees if, if we don't want to. Um, uh, the, there's some uh, differences to the movie, obviously. In the movie, <laughs> uh, the reasons why Buck goes into the old Chicago is because he wants to explore it, and then there's uh-huh. a different thing. In here, it's because, no, they throw him out. Like, he mentions in one panel, I'm thinking of exploring, but that's when Wilma zaps him with the gun, and they put him on trial. So basically, in, the, in this version, he gets 
sentenced to be live out in old Chicago, which is basically based on the original script, which is of course what the adaptation is is working from. Yeah, I think in the I could be wrong, but I think in the television ver- movie version of this, I think they put it back to where he was sentenced to go out there because that was the memory that I had had that uh, that he the the version that's in this this comic and when I went to watch the movie as kind of a, what what are the differences I was kind of I I did not remember that part right and in the movie and the the he he essentially kills Tiger Man uh, by mm-hmm. blowing him up and here he just gets stunned because they realize later on that when they went to series they wanted to keep Tiger Man around now so here we just see him get you know he just gets knocked out when Buck says stunned by his own weapon I love the security aboard this ship <laughs> but in the movie he actually dies. Uh, I have to say, um, I haven't, I hadn't seen the movie in many years. I rewatched it again for the for the film and water, and then read this comic book. There's a lot of talk about trade routes. Uh, I'm yeah. like, boy, they are phantom menacing all over the place in this movie. Well, you know, uh, George Lucas loved <laughs> taking things from 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 old movie serials, and obviously, he must have uh, had this playing on in the background when he was working on the Phantom Menace script. I would say so. And there's, I also think there's a lot of back and forth about whether Buck is a spy or not. Like Wilma is like, "You're not a spy." No, you are a spy. No, wait, he is a spy. Wait, no, he's not a spy. But all right, already, you know, <laughs> this is kind of. And like it a, doesn't doesn't help that Kane feels like he's a spy as well. So yeah, right, right. I was going to say, Buck gets no sympathy from anybody. No, no, every, nobody trusts him at any at every turn. Everybody's suspicious of him. And then, uh, f- and the, the finale is that we don't see what happens to Kane and Ardala in this comic. Like they just disappear. While in the movie, they get a specific scene where he's like, "I'm going to get my revenge on Buck <laughs> Rogers." But here, they just they just go, you know, they they just disappear. We don't see what happens to them after that. So, and then of course, the final panel where Buck claims his reward. <laughs> uh, using Colonel Wilma Deering, that's a yeah. I don't think uh, Buck's attitudes really hold up in the 25th century, or even in the 21st, really. No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of the art? Uh, I actually think that, and this is not. I know famously, I like to knock Jose Delbo because he gave me a bad grade at school, and I've never gotten over it. Um, I really think it picks up when Al Williams takes over because he, he's credit. You see his signature on the inking in the second chapter, and to me, it really gets better because it's much more illustrative and smooth. I really like him as an inker. Yeah, I think the second part is probably my favorite part of the all of the, out of the three. Uh, yeah, Al McWilliams looks like, even if, if you didn't know that this is an adaptation, it feels like uh, a, a sci-fi comic. And it, it's got, I got that, the second the second part of this, you know, has a, an energy that I don't think the first or the third have i think those feel traditionally gold key to me mm-hmm. and this one's just a little bit more stylized i mean they all have that kind of all three sections pretty much have a gold key house feel to them mm-hmm. but the, the second one i i think has a bit of more personality to it oh sure i mean getting to see buck and tweaky and dr theopolis walk out into like the the wasteland i mean that's like out of every out of so many sci-fi movies and uh in the movie they do they do it pretty well and i like how it's done here i like the whole thing of like the the kind of like the mutants like banging the drums and stuff like that uh-huh. that's that's kind of a cool thing and yeah the the big action set pieces other than the stuff with the spaceships is in that second chapter and yeah i agree it flows really well i mean the, the opening page of the third chapter has got almost the most 
most words I've ever seen on a single comic book page. It's like a Steve Skates wrote it. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it is like half text. They're like, oh my God, this is really, uh, I mean, again, it's, this is uh, like 64 pages uh, minus covers. So you're talking like 60 pages. That's, it's hard to condense a whole movie. Uh, into you know sixty but, pages, but as as comic adaptations go, I think this actually flows really well. Mm-hmm. I've read some ones that just felt like clunkers that uh, that you know because you know script changes and whatnot. Uh, it just it didn't really match what the final version of it is, or it felt stilted for some reason. I, you know, I just as comic adaptations go, this I really enjoyed it. Another part that's kind of a big difference is a lot through the movie is all about how much Ardala wants to get with Buck. And that there's none of that here other than briefly. Because, of course, Gold Key comics uh, were meant to be totally for kids, completely safe material. They did not submit themselves to the Comics Code Authority because they well they sort of sprung out of Dell Comics. That's a whole other history. But like <laughs> Dell Comics was so above reproach that they didn't even need to submit themselves to the Comics Code Authority because it was like no one would ever uh, think that their material was anything other than suitable for the smallest children. Because, you know, Dell Comics had the Disney license, the Warner Brothers license. I mean, they had every major license out there. <laughs> So this comic and the Buck Rogers comic doesn't they don't bear the comics code authority. They didn't even they didn't have to do it. So of course this had to be kind of the most you know, I don't I don't want to say it like as a knock, but it's like the most bloodless version of this story possible. While mm-hmm. the movie the, the movie definitely tilts itself in, in a slightly different direction. Yeah, this is pretty much what the Buck Rogers movie would be if you removed all the campy elements out of mm-hmm. it. Right. I mean, you don't have the, the, the infamous disco scene in the middle yeah. of the, the movie um, and and definitely doesn't have any tweakies of dialogue in it, which was obviously a, a last minute addition. Right. And I like how uh, I like the, the sort of uh, even though he's a, just a, a machine, I like how uh, Dr. Apol begs for his life and they're just like, nope. And he's and they just rip out his wires and he's like, he's OK. He guess he's dead. All right. Well, that was kind of brutal. I wonder if they entertained the idea of getting the, uh, the the actor who played Hal in 2001. Oh, that would have been amazing. That would have been so cool if they had done that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a fun adaptation. Again, it's, it's, I would have liked to have seen what Marvel might have done with this. Mm-hmm. That would have been really interesting. Like, get you know, Howard Chaykin to do it. I would have loved to Howard see Howard Chaykin. You know, Will, Will Madeering. Oh, Walt Simonson. Oh, my. Can you imagine Will Madeering drawn by Howard Chaykin? Like, what that would have looked like? like I'm not going to get any sleep this evening because yeah. oh. I'm going to imagine the, the parallel universe in which Marvel had this property. Holy Mac. Um, on the inside cover, there's a very brief, the making of Universal's Buck Rogers. And it's kind of funny when Marvel would do this, they would give you like five, six pages in here. It's mm-hmm. crammed into just a couple of paragraphs. I do love that it mentions the cast and it says uh, Henry Silva has been the villain in The Manchurian Candidate, Johnny Cool, and The Return of <laughs> Mr. Moto. I love the idea that there were little kids who read Gold Key Comics, who also saw The Manchurian Candidate. Like, what's the Venn diagram of that? All those two audiences. And Joe, uh, Joseph Wiseman gets more more verbiage in in that section than Gil Gerard does. Yeah, really. Yeah, they were like, we played Doctor No. Yeah, they're very famous. Yeah, Gil Gerard. Oh, yeah, he was a uh, he he was a uh, he was on a soap. That's all you need to know about uh, Gil Gerard. And, and then, nothing for really for Aaron Gray. No. I mean. <laughs> and then one sentence about the special effects. Like that's really all they had to do. Uh, and then on the back cover, it's the same design, but with all new uh, photos. And then we actually see uh, Tweaky there and Tiger Man and uh, Pamela Hemsley looking uh, quite fetching. Did you have any of the toys growing up, the Buck Rogers toys? 
I did. I had I, I had Buck. I had one of the Draconian Warriors. I had Tweaky, and maybe Tiger. Yeah, I had Tiger Man, and I had the the Buck the Buck Rogers spaceship and the Draconian starship, which usually they were folded into my Star Wars of course, figures. And, of course. Because really, Buck didn't have anybody else to fight right, other right, than right. that one lone Draconian warrior and and maybe Tiger Man. And they very smartly scaled them to basically the same size, so they everything <laughs> you could fit your Han Solo in Buck's ship, and it would work. Uh, quite True, well. but but the Buck Rogers figures had that articulation that was like was fine initially, but then after a while got really loose. Yeah, yeah, because they had the little <laughs> rubber band thing, like the GI Joe figures later on. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I had Tiger Man, and I had I don't. They probably didn't even wonder if they even made a Princess Ardala because we know the girl I, figures generally don't sell. I don't know. I don't remember if they made an Aaron Gray one either. I for some reason I think they did, but I didn't have it. Yeah, no, I just certainly never had. I I I, know, I, I had Princess Leia and everything. I had Wonder Woman, but I I think Buck Rogers like sort of like got the main character. I think I had Tweaky too. I like I had the main characters, and then other than that, I didn't they didn't uh, bother too much with it. Although I watched the show. I watched yep. the show pretty religiously. Space Vampire? Hey, man, oh, good space stuff. Space Vampires, uh, Space Olympics, that was the Space Rockers. Yeah, that was good stuff, man. Hawk? <laughs> no, Hawk, oh, such a great character. Yeah, wouldn't they, it would have been, again, I, I hate to, like, uh, we were, like, damning this with faint praise about going on about what Marvel could have done with this, but I I do think about, like, this This is, like, this is not a bad comic, but it's not terribly exciting. That's, that's no, the only thing you can really knock about it. But, You're just like, it's just a pretty much a straightforward, what you expect from Gold Key, This is that's what you get. But they were thinking that they had something because they went the whole Star Wars route with this comic series. They had the Treasury Edition, mm-hmm. they had the regular comic, and then they advertised in the house at a uh, three-pack. So, oh, they did? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they were thinking that they were going to jump on to the whole Star Wars bandwagon, I would imagine, because 1979 is just – you're still riding the wave of Star Wars at that point, and Empire Strikes Back is still about a year away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, something had to fill the void. You know, I mean, and, and that's, and what Battlestar Galactica? No, I mean that's it. That's I watched all that stuff. I watched the the black hole. I mean, I I was like Mister Sci-Fi after Star Wars. I mean, I was Mister Sci-Fi before Star Wars. I watched Star Trek and Space mm-hmm. and Space Nine Nineteen Ninety Nine as well. It, yeah, yeah. Black, I mean, Black Hole had a comic book adaptation, but I don't think that they had a, a Treasury edition. They did not. Believe me, I would own it if they if they <laughs> had one. So, um, the only other thing about this is that because this is a reprint of an irregular sized comic, like there isn't anything particularly Treasury ish about this. <laughs> like the artist didn't do anything because they was he wasn't drawing. They weren't drawing it for it to be a Treasury. There's no no nobody's taking advantage of the large size really. No, but I think of of them. I think Al McWilliams probably looks the best in the larger format. Yeah, I agree. It's a very it's a very smooth. It is. It's really really pleasurable to to look at. So yeah, it's it's, it's not a not a bad book. Like I said I never saw it on the stands. I probably would have gotten it if I had. Uh, I think I had a couple issues of the Gold Key comic. Did you buy Gold Key comics when you were a kid? Occasionally, that it was usually something that my grandparents would buy when we go visit them. <laughs> and uh, occasionally, most of my early comic reading came from comics that uh, my grandparents bought for me when we visited and so it was justice league one time it might be a huckleberry hound another time (laughs) golgi comics were the safe comics for your grandparents to buy you Uh, you know pretty much yeah so (laughs) 
Yeah, so I said it's it's not a bad addition. It's it's kind of funny said how many movies were made into treasuries at the time. It was really you know Marvel really realized that it was a uh, you know good format for them. Again, this was probably uh, you know department stores didn't sell regular one-off comics. They sold the bagged comics as you mentioned. Yeah. Something with a higher price point that they could make a little more money off of and that's that's those are the kind of comics those department stores would carry. They didn't they didn't bother with like you know the 50 cent books. There was no they didn't want to have it like an employee bother with all that. You're changing <laughs> books in and out. But the I'm sure the treasury was probably on the stands for for many months. I mean that's I remember the DC books and the Marvel books sat oh, on yeah. the stands for for a long time. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I without a doubt. No, but I, I wish I had seen it. Yeah, I probably would have begged my parents to purchase it for me. Bitty, bitty, bitty. Uh, it's just <laughs> fun to do. Uh, so, all right. Well, I think that's that's going to wrap it up for for Buck Rogers. But before we finish up, I do want to ask you, Greg, since you have not been on the show before, uh, <laughs> like, is there the two questions I like to ask? I forgot to ask him for the last episode of my guest, which is my fault. Bad, bad Rob, bad Rob. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you, like. Was there any treasury, if you can make any treasury today, like any reprint, any stories or original stories, what would it be? And then the other one is, is there a treasury from your childhood that you wished had been done? Hmm. I think it's kind of a crime right now that the Marvel Star Wars series isn't being released also in a treasury edition. Oh, man, yeah. Um, just out of... That was probably my introduction to the Star Wars comics was the, the first treasury, so I always have a fondness for that. So that's what I'd like to see. Like the Princess Leia four-part – or the, the Princess Leia miniseries would be perfect to be for a treasury edition. The Lando series, you know, want a Lando treasury, oh, even the yeah. Chewbacca one. You know, those would be perfect. But if I were to – in the spirit of all this, I think the, the treasury that I would like to see – uh, would be the adapt the Dune adaptation just to get Bill Sienkiewicz's art. In wow, that was an, I did not expect that answer. <laughs> so that would be that's my that's my dream Treasury edition. That would be real. Oh my god! I mean, that would be cool to see Bill Sienkiewicz at that size. That mm-hmm. really would be cool. But yeah, Dune with that batshit crazy movie. Yeah, hold on my god, that is nuts. Oh, that's a great answer. I love that would be that would be mind bending. And what they'd probably to uh, shrink wrap a pamphlet with it like they did with the movie to be able to understand all the terms of what's going on. So. Well, there you go. There's your back inside back cover. There you go. There you go. We've got to hire, get to the you know modern version of E. Nelson Bridwell to see the back piece about it. Let's explain all this, all these terms you're about to be hit with in this bizarre movie. So, well, very cool. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on, Greg. This was awesome. This was one of the first ones you talked about when I asked you if you wanted to be on the show, which ones you wanted to do. And like, this was such an off brand choice. That I was like, oh, this is great, and so now, and it was great. We got the, I got to kind of make a theme week out of it because I'm talking about the movie, and now uh, talk about the comic book. So it's it's really cool. So where uh, can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, you, they can uh, under the Giarujo one uh, Twitter handle. I can also be heard on the Pulp to Pixels Marvel Super uh, Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond uh, podcast, where Sean Ross and I are. Uh, currently going through uh, the infamous Secret Wars 2 crossover events and all the tie-ins. <laughs> it's a, despite it being about Secret Wars 2, everybody, that's a very fun show. You should be listening to it. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, well, thanks so much, Greg. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I want you to stay tuned, and we're going to play some podcast promos, and when we come back, we're going to do listener feedback. 
I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? The room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2. Beginning in 2018, Pulp to Pixel's Marvel superhero Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. And it's time for listener feedback for episode 22, Conan the Barbarian with Andy Leyland. Uh, we got comments on the Fire and Water website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Chuck Coletta says, great discussion, fellas. I haven't read much Conan other than the run several years ago with the magnificent Corey Carrie Nord art. Actually just picked up the new Conan Wonder Woman miniseries and have enjoyed the first couple of issues. I haven't read that yet, Chuck, but that sounds like such a fun team-up. I remember uh, Marvel did a what-if where Conan met Thor, and I thought that was such a fun idea. So I'm actually intrigued about what the uh, Conan Wonder Woman series might be. Dr. Ange from Common Bucks Commentary says, Great episode and breakdown. I rarely read Conan books as a kid. I'm seeing a theme here. There were always guest books. What I called comics brought over when my parents' guests, knowing I liked comics, brought me one. I'm sure they just grabbed one off the rack. So the odd Conan, Howard the Duck, The Defenders, and Wonder Woman were guest books. I was a sword and sorcery fan, but I sensed that if mom saw the art in Conan or Red Sonia, suddenly comics would be scrutinized. Better to avoid. I will say I got the more recent Brian Wood Conan with Becky Coonan art early on and loved it. Uh, yeah, especially Red Sonia, man. Uh, that Frank Thorne art. Uh, good luck getting that into the house if your mom uh, sees it. Oh, boy. Anyway, thanks, Ange. Uh, Edo Boznar writes in to say, All right, this was a particularly great episode because you've actually covered a book that I had at one point, which is, in fact, a first for the show. Really enjoyed your rundown and share your high opinion of the book and the stories collected therein. 
The Red Nails adaptation in particular is quite good. Smith is really firing on all cylinders at that point. Currently, I have the story reprinted in its original black and white in one of the Savage Sword phone books published by Dark Horse, and in the color Marvel Special Edition from the early 1980s. As to the front cover, i.e. why the image is cropped and framed, I think it's just so that the wonderful piece of art doesn't have any logos or other text obscuring any part of it. The image is truly awesome. In my opinion, it's probably one of the absolute best, if not the best, Conan illustration ever. I like the Andy's suggestion about a Conan TV series that tracks his life, but to be honest, I'd actually just prefer a series or a series of TV movies that adapt the original stories by Howard. The producers already have the storyboards via the comics adaptations done by Thomas et al. I think that was the biggest mistake of the Conan movies, none of which I really liked. They should have just used the actual source material instead of doing inferior original stories. I guess I can't argue with you there. You know, I really like the first Conan movie. Uh, I saw it as a kid. I'm sure that, that colors my view of it, but I really do like that, that first movie. But I'm imagining if you're a Howard fan, it probably it doesn't really live up to what you were hoping. And the, the less said about Conan the Destroyer, the better. And then Chris Franklin from our network writes in to say, Great episode. As I've stated elsewhere, Conan was always on the periphery for me. I didn't really read much until my then-brother-in-law let me read some of his Savage Sword magazines. I was in my early teens then, so I could really appreciate them at that point. Is it wrong for me to say I prefer BWS in this middle period with Red Nails? I can appreciate his later work, but he seemed to get into drawing a lot of the same faces over and over, kind of like Byrne. I tend to think this stuff is him at his best. That cover image is fantastic, and I have to wonder if the rain isn't there to kind of cover up what would otherwise obviously be blood. Always great to hear Andy drop by, as I am a fan of the man and his many shows. Great stuff, guys. Thank you, Chris. And then finally, Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl says, I've never been a Conan fan. <laughs> I think we're 0 for 5 on Conan. I never forgave him for nicking half a Marvel's UK's Avengers Weekly back in the 70s. The only time I really liked the book was when J.M. Demetrius was writing it. But you made me want to take a look at this issue. So well done. Yeah, pretty much uh, anytime J.M. Demetrius writes uh, a character, that's going to be a good run because it's written by J.M. Demetrius. So thanks, everybody, for commenting. Uh, we didn't get any new iTunes reviews, so you guys are killing me. Please give me some new iTunes reviews. I haven't had one in almost a year. Come on. And let's wrap up with Twitter. Uh, we got a bunch of retweets. I really appreciate that. Helps the new episodes get noticed. So I want to thank FKO Marquez, Motucast, Zoom Yukonori, Comic Reflection, Justice Trek, Legion Blog, Dr. Ian 70, Classic JLA, Supermates Pod, World Spine, Bazinga Cal, MTF, Garujo One, Mart Gray, Christatsis 01, Tim Price 17, Sujo, Siskoid, and Coffee Comics Blog. So thanks everybody for that. Thanks so much to Greg for stopping by to talk about the Buck Rogers movie adaptation, a very obscure treasure. I like to cover them every so often. And thanks to David Escutierrez for coming by the Film and Water podcast earlier in the week and covering the movie with me. Uh, I have no idea why I decided to do like a Buck Rogers theme week, uh, but I did, and I'm glad it all worked out because it was sort of fun to talk about the adaptation uh, versus the movie. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and until the next episode, go big or go home. <laughs>